And that's our message for the day. <laughs> that, that's good. We'll just let him preach next time. <laughs> uh, okay, so you see the uh, little Batman symbol. If you haven't been following Facebook, specifically Pastor Philip on Facebook, he's been in a little bit of a bat war uh, the past few days. And I think he, he finally got rid of his bats. Um, but we're going to call him Batman when he comes back. So uh, if you're visiting with us today, I'm not the pastor. I'm the pastoral assistant. Uh, pastor Philip is actually out of town. He is uh, in the mountains preaching a um, homecoming service. And so that's what, he's, that's what he's doing today. So that's a cool opportunity that he gets to go do that. Um, we have a, a great pastor, and I love him dearly. And he's, he's been an awesome influence in my life. I, I'm telling you, it, I've been here... Year, almost a year and a half now, and just to see him pour into me in different ways and give me opportunities is really cool. So I got the opportunity to preach again this week, so that's, that's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. Um, but yeah, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, some of you guys may remember, uh, last time I preached, I started kind of a series on the armor of God. It's something I've always wanted to do, just to really dig into the full armor of God, and to take each piece of the armor and just make a sermon out of it. And let's just really dig in and let's do it. So we're going to continue that today. Um, last week was the belt of truth, and so we talked about that. We talked about what that means to trust God and to trust His Word and that it is true and we can know it's true and we, we trust Him. Sometimes it takes faith to trust Him. Sometimes we don't always understand what that truth really means, but we know God has got it, and we know He is true, and we know His Word is true. And so when all else fails, we have His Word, and we can go back to that, and that explains really anything that we really need to know in life. Um, so that was, that was the belt of truth, and making sure you're, it's on, you're prepared, you're ready for that. And so this week, we're going to continue in our series, and it's, it's spiritual warfare, is really the whole context of this. Um, every day, every day, we are in a spiritual battle. Um, the devil wants you. He wants you. He wants your family. He wants your kids. He does not want you to put your faith in God, to trust in who God is. He wants to throw you off course and if he can get you to stumble in sin, if he can get you to stumble in your thinking, if he can get you to stumble in any way possible, he is going to do that. So Paul gives us this instruction about the full armor of God and how to withstand against evil, how to withstand the evil day. So let's, let's just, let's dive into it um, as soon as I get to it. We'll start with Ephesians chapter 6. And it says this, we'll start with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And last time that I preached this, we talked a little bit about that, that our, our battle is not so much against the flesh and blood, against the people around us, even though the devil can use those, and that's definitely something that we do have to, to guard ourselves against. 
but you look deeper and there's something spiritual that's happening in the background. And there's something, it's a spiritual war that's going on. And so we have to keep that in the forefront of our minds that when things happen in life, a lot of times it's, it's this whole war that's going on trying to steer us either towards doing what's right or towards doing what's wrong. And it's this battle that takes place. And so this next part in 13, it says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand firm. Now, that, that command, take up the full armor of God. Who, who in here remembers uh, going back to like elementary school and learning your, your, uh, your different parts of English and different words, and you have your adjectives and you have your, your verbs, and okay, what is a verb? It's an... Action, it's an action word. This is a command to take up. It's a verb. It's saying you have to take action here. The thing is, is that the Christian walk is not something that we just passively do. Being a Christian is not just a label we have because we go to church and we read our Bible and we do good things. The being a Christian, you have to take action. You have to take responsibility, you have to do something with that. I'm actually going to steal something from Pastor Philip that he used last week. Um, he said Christianity is not a plaything, right? Christianity is not a plaything. It's not something that we just play around with. It is life. It is how we're, we're trusting in God and what we're putting forward and what he's doing inside of us and transforming our lives so that we can help others to know what it means to be a Christian, what it means to love God, what it means to take action and take part in this thing we call life. So take action. It is, it is an action word. So reading further, further, if I can speak right, <laughs> Um, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and then having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So today, we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness and what that means. Um, I don't have my slides up today. I know the last time I had a slide, I was like a little Roman soldier and had a little bit of what he looked like and uh, what that armor would have been, you know. Uh, Paul, when he was writing this, he was referring back to what the armor of the Romans soldiers would have had. He was referring back to that. So he was giving us this imagery that when we think of the armor of God, we can think about the Roman soldier and what he was wearing. Okay, now so there's several different types of breastplates that I just, I learned this this past week, this is pretty cool. Um, several different types of breastplates that they, that they wore. One was like a, a chain, mill, chain mill type breastplate that was like links of chain kind of braided together or linked together to kind of make this breastplate to protect you. And then the other one was, um, actually this is pretty cool, um, animal hooves that they actually would cut because animal hooves are really hard and protective. And they would kind of layer them almost like fish scales. Who would have thought? That's pretty cool. You know, that you would, they would layer them like that. I think the one that we're most uh, um, familiar with is kind of that uh, molded um, bronze, just the one 
solid sheet of a breastplate. Yeah, that one's really cool. The Romans back then, they were really all about their, uh, the way they looked and being all buff and tough, and so they would kind of cut out the muscles and stuff like that. So if I was to be a Roman soldier, I would definitely want to wear one of those because it would show that I'm, I'm strong, you know, got this uh, physique that's right. Um, <laughs> anyways, anyways, um, so that's what, that's what Paul was talking about. He was talking about this, this breastplate. What did the breastplate do? It protected your vitals. It protected your vital organs. It protected the things that you need to stay alive. You know, if you were going through battle and you got your hand chopped off, you wouldn't like that, but you could still live with a hand chopped off. You know, if you got your leg cut off, you could still live with your leg cut off. But you can't live without a heart. You can't live if both lungs are punctured from the spears and the arrows that are coming at you. You can't live if, I mean, use your imagination, if you lose your vital organs and they, they shut down because of the battle that you're in. So the breastplate, it protected some of the most, um, um, most vital parts of your body that you needed to live. I think it's interesting that Paul, when he assigns a piece of the armor, he says righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, is what we're going to call this one. What does righteousness give us? It gives us life. You know, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, something cool happened. You know, when we put our trust in him and we become saved and we, we say, okay, Christ has died on the cross for us and he was the sacrifice for us and he went through the punishment that we deserved and he got that death. And so when we get saved and we look at him and we put our faith and trust in him, we get something of his and that's called righteousness. And that righteousness is what gives us life. We just sung, sung about it. Power in the blood of the Lamb. It is the power of Jesus Christ and His blood being shed for us that gives us the power, the ability to be righteous and to live righteously. And so that's what that breastplate does. It protects us. It protects our most vital organs. Um, and, and that is righteousness. Now, I want to I do something a little interesting. Um, Keith Miller let me borrow something really important to him. This would be our modern-day breastplate, all right? This is a, not a bulletproof vest. I was assured that it's bullet-resistive, correct? So meaning that bullets, it, it'll stop a lot of bullets, but some of them may get through, but it's going to protect you. It's going to protect your vital organs, your vital area. Um, if you've ever done any kind of like uh, com combat training or weapons training or you know, gone to get your concealed permit or anything like that, something they teach you to do is if you're going to fire your weapon, what are you going to aim for? Center mass. Because that's going to be the quickest thing to take down your target. In, in our Christian walk, what do you think our enemy is going to aim for a lot of time? He's going to aim for that center mass. He's going to try to trip us up and to, to get us to fall into sin, to fall into what's wrong, to doing what's wrong. And he does that through temptations, and he does that through 
um, thinking that this is, this is okay and I can do that and, you know, this won't really hurt me. But the thing is, is that it is in the long run, it's going to be destructive. Sin is destructive. And so the devil aims for that center mass. That's what he wants to, to get. So we as Christians need to put on our righteousness. We need to put on our righteousness and be, be prepared for battle. Be prepared when the devil slings those fiery darts at you, when he slings that temptation at you, when he slings um, and, and puts evil in your, in your way. Put on righteousness. Um, you know, if, let's say, I were, I knew that something was going to happen today. I knew there was going to be some sort of confrontation and okay, let's just say, you know, war was to, about to break out. I would want to wear this, okay? If I was going into a war, I would want to wear it to make sure I have my, my bullet-resistant vest on, my breastplate, uh, so to speak. A lot of times what we do as Christians is we take the breastplate off. We take it off and we say, you know, I don't really need to wear that all the time because... It's something that is heavy, and it is kind of gets in the way a little bit, and it just kind of cramps my style a little bit. And, you know, everyone, not many other people really wear the breastplate that much. Um, so I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm going to take it off. What happens the very instant that you take off the, your righteousness is you are vulnerable. You're vulnerable to injury. You're vulnerable for the devil to come in to sneak in in any way possible and to take you out. <clears throat> um, you know, a lot of times what we say is, as Christians, we get to the point where we say, you know, I can allow a little bit of sin to creep into my life, and it's not that bad. Because... You know, other people do this and they do that, and it's, it's, they get away with it, and I know I could probably get away with it too, and so I'm not going to really worry about it. You know, it's, it's not something that's really going to bother me that bad. It's just a little bit of sin, right? It's just, just, a, just a hair, just a smidge. So I'm not going to put on my breastplate of righteousness today because I don't think I need it. I, I think it's going to be okay. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of the skit guys. Can I get a raise of hand if anyone who's ever heard of the skit guys before? All right, I love the skit guys, and I love in youth when we're doing like stuff like uh, in Fuel uh, to, to play their, their videos. They have one that's actually really funny. And it's basically there's a, um, there's a son who comes in to his dad, and he looks at him, he says, okay, Dad, I, I'm here. I, I really want to go see this movie. Everyone's going to see it. But here's the thing, there's, just, there's, a, there's a little bit of violence. There's a little bit of violence, but it's not much. It's just a little bit. Um, but, but everyone else is going to go see it, and yeah, there's a little bit of profanity, but it's just, it's just a little bit. So yeah, don't really worry about that. It's just a little bit. And there's a little bit of uh, nudity, but you know, it, it's just a little bit. Don't, don't really worry about that. It's just a, just a little bit. And the dad says, okay, son, that's fine. Go ahead. And the kid's like, wait, wait, wait. You said I could do this. I knew you were going to shut me down. What do you mean? And he said, yeah, that's, that's fine. And he goes, okay, I'll see you later. He goes, wait a second. Just before you go, though, 
uh, I want you to try one of my brownies. You know, these are the brownies that you love from the day you were born. From the day you could start eating, you love these brownies. I just want you to, um, just to taste one. He goes, okay. I mean, brownie, go see a movie. Okay, that's fine. I can wait a couple extra minutes. And so he picks it up and he starts eating it. He's like, oh, yeah. He says, the thing is, is that I, I changed one of the ingredients. It's all the same ingredients that you've always loved, but I have changed this one thing. And the son's eating it, and he's like, okay, great, this is all right, what, what did you change? I mean, you put like extra sugar in it or you put like maybe some different kind of flour or, you know, what did you, what did you add? And the dad says, um, dog poop. And the son goes, what? But, and the dad goes, but it's just a little bit. It's just a little bit of dog poop. You know, it's just, just a tiny bit. It's not really that big a deal. Don't need to worry about it. And the son goes, what do, you, what do you mean, dog poop? He goes, yeah. He goes, from the big dog to the little dog. Oh. That goes to show that, you know, a little bit can ruin the whole batch, right? When we allow just a little bit of sin in our life, it puts a hamper on things. Our relationship with God is not the where it needs to be. Our relationship with his people is not quite where it needs to be because we have this blockade. We have this injury, in a sense, because we chose to take off the breastplate of righteousness and we chose to allow sin to enter in. You know, I'm standing up here today and I'm preaching this message and I'm thinking about my own life and I'm thinking... Every day there's something that I let my guard down and I allow sin to get in. And I take that breastplate off. And I'm maybe not the way the, um, my attitude towards my wife is not the way it should be. Or maybe I'll allow some sort of pride to get in and I think that, you know, I'm really better than who I really am. Or, you know, I allow to get a big head about something. Or maybe I just allow sin because... Sin can be fun. Sin can be tempting. It can, be, it can look good on the outside. But the thing is, is that this, the devil always has a counterfeit to everything that God has that's good. And the minute we allow our guard to be dropped is the minute that we allow ourselves to fall. The minute we take off that breastplate, the minute we take off that bulletproof vest, so to speak, is the minute we allow Satan to sneak in and to attack us in ways that could be devastating. Now, at this point in the message, I know you're all just like, wow, this is a really encouraging message. You know, I'm feeling real great about myself right now. Well, there's more. There's, it's okay, there is more. Um, because the awesome thing is that we can't be righteous on our own. When it comes to putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we first have to have righteousness inside of us to be able to do that anyways. We first have to have that righteousness in our, in our new being that we get this new man that we get when we become saved. Is when you become a Christian, you, you get this thing that's called righteousness. So, what we have to do after that is we have to just decide, are we going, going to actually do it? 
Are we going to actually obey God? Are we going to actually live righteously? Um, when, when, when you got saved, I think I've already said this, but when you get saved, you get the righteousness of Jesus Christ and you get the power and the ability to live righteously and to do what's right. What did that come from? Did it come from your, your works that you've done? Did it come from the fact that, okay, you, um, you go to church every day, uh, every day, day the, the doors are open, and you read your Bible every chance you get, and you help the homeless, and you do all these different things? Righteousness doesn't come from our works. It's a free gift of God. Salvation is a free gift of God through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross. And it's by our faith, by our faith in God, that we are made righteous. If you would, turn with me over to Genesis um, chapter 15. This is um, just a little background on what's happened here is this is Abraham. Um, Abraham was, was God's man that God chose to begin the nation of Israel. Yeah, there was no nation of Israel back then during this time. And God said, I'm going to take Abraham and I'm going to make a great nation out of him. Now the thing about that that's so interesting is that Abraham had no kids. He had no descendants. The only de closest descendant he had was one of his servants that worked with him. Um, and so... Abraham, you know, got to this point and he was thinking, you know, how is this going to work? Well, let's, let's read this in uh, chapter 15. We'll just start with verse 1. It says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And it said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So God has just told Abram, at this point Abram, it hasn't been changed to Abraham. He told him, you are going to be the father of many nations. Look at the stars. You are going to be the father of all of these people. And what did Abram do right after that? And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. Because of Abram's faith in God, trusting that God was going to do what he said he was going to do, that God knew the plan, that God's way was right, that God knew what was right. He trusted God, and God said, that's what I want. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe me. I want you to know that I'm going to work in your, in your life, and I'm going to use you for a purpose that is greater than yourself, and I'm going to use you to start the nation of Israel. Jesus out of the nation of Israel, our Savior, this was a pretty big deal. And what God wanted from Abram was to believe and to have faith. And that faith 
was counted as righteousness. When we become a Christian, it's our faith in Christ. It's how we become righteous. It's our faith in putting our trust in Christ and we getting that righteousness from him. But the thing is, is that sometimes God does things and we don't understand why he's doing it. But we're still called to be faithful. We're still called to trust him. Sometimes we don't understand why we should put the Kevlar vest on. Why we should put that protection, the breastplate of righteousness on. Because it doesn't make sense to us. I would feel much better when I get upset at someone just to haul off and smack them. Wouldn't that just make you feel so much better? But you know that's not the right thing to do. It might not make sense at that very second. You know, Abraham, later on, he was faithful. He kind of, he failed, he failed a little bit because he tried to start the nation of Israel through his wife's servant, um, and they had Ishmael, which was not God's design. But then he was faithful to God, and they started, they had um, Isaac with his wife. And so God finally gave him this, his own son, the only son that he had. And then God said, I want you to sacrifice the son back to me. At that point, Abraham is thinking, I, I don't know what's, what's going to happen here. I don't know why you are asking me to do this. Because this doesn't make sense. But what he did, he said, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you because you know what's right. You know what's right, God. I'm going to trust you in this. And he followed God up to the mountain and he built an altar and he started to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And it was at that very moment that the angel of the Lord said to him, okay, stop. I'm not going to make you follow through with this. It was a test to see how faithful Abraham was going to be. You know, I think sometimes in our own lives, God brings us through certain situations to, tr- to, to test us, to see if we're going to be faithful and trust him and be righteous in those moments and to live righteously and to do what's right and to obey God and to obey what God has said to do. Um, but then... There's also times in our lives where I think we get confused what real righteousness really is. We get confused because, you know, we like to feel good about what we're doing. We like to feel good about ourselves. We like to feel good about doing the right thing at the right time. And so oftentimes what we do is we create this box for ourselves and we say, okay, the Christian that I am modeling after, it looks like this and this and this and this. And if I can attain this and this and this and this, and I can accomplish these things, then I must be doing good. And I look around at the people who aren't doing those things, and I think, wow, they're not as good as me because I am checking off these boxes, and I am doing what's right. You know what that's called? That's called self-righteousness. I think we as Christians, I know myself, that's something that I struggle with, is self-righteousness. Thinking that I'm doing the right thing, but then wanting the glory for doing the right thing. Wanting to honor myself and to give myself the glory because, hey, I did this. I want the pat on the back when we should be giving that glory back to God. 
and that honor back to him. Um, you know, Jesus, he, he didn't like this too much. And if you want to turn with me, that's fine. You can go to Matthew chapter 23. And this is Jesus's, he is blasting the Pharisees for their self-righteous behavior. Jesus took the idea of self-righteousness and he said, I want to put an end to this. I want you to know that this is wrong, that this is not right. Let's just read through this. All right, in Matthew chapter 23, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat and do and observe whatever they tell you, but, do, but not the works they do. For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feast, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and called no man your father on earth, and have no, and have one, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ, the greatest among you. You shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift of the altar that makes the gift sacred, so whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by everything and by him who dwells in it, and whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Now listen to this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments 
of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some who you will kill and crucify, and some who you will flog in, in our synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that you may come all the righteous, so that you, on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now, I read the whole chapter there because I want you to see Jesus is serious about your righteousness. And he wants your righteousness to be genuine. He wants your righteousness to not come from a proud heart, to not come from wanting to be seen by others. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And that's what Jesus said, this has to stop. This is not God's way. You're doing all these little things in the background but you're missing the whole point of walking in faith and walking with God. Right before that in chapter 22, when the scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus, they test him saying, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus tells them, he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is likewise, to love your neighbor as yourself. If we could get that one thing right and we could love God with everything that is inside of us, do you not think that we will live righteously? Do you not think that if we strive to pursue after God, the more we desire Him, the more we strive after Him and to do His work and His ways, He's going to work His Holy Spirit power into transforming us into living righteously? So that living righteously almost just becomes second nature. It just becomes what we do. We don't have to think, oh, well, I shouldn't do that because that's wrong. We think, no, I want to please God because that's right. See, there's a difference between self-righteousness and righteousness. Self-righteousness looks like this. I don't do that. Righteousness looks like this. I can't do that. Self-righteousness would be, I don't steal or cheat on my taxes or do those things. I just That's not something I do. Righteousness would be, no, I can't do that because that doesn't line up with who God is. Self-righteousness would be, I don't bow down to any idols or worship any other gods. That's just not, that's not what I do. I don't do that. Righteousness would be, I can't bow down to any other gods or worship idols because that would be an abomination to my God. In a more practical sense, self-righteousness, I don't act sexually immoral, look at pornography, do different things in, in that nature. Righteousness is, I can't do those things because I know how that's going to destroy my walk with God, destroy my walk, my relationship with others. So there's a difference between that. Self-righteousness, it sits on yourself and your own responsibility to carry your own weight righteousness, the weight has already been carried for you through Jesus Christ. He has already 
been righteous for you, and he's given that. Now he just asks you to be obedient and to follow him. Lastly, I want to say this. Um, doing righteous things doesn't make us righteous. It makes us obedient. Jesus Christ is the one who makes us righteous. It goes back to what he has done on the cross for us, how he has given us that life, what he has already walked through. And now when we can't walk and we do fail and we do sin, we have grace and he picks us back up. And he says, all right, get back up. It's time to start moving forward again. And so I say all that today This was a hard sermon to prepare for because I know myself, I'm not righteous. But I know by the blood of Jesus Christ, he has made me righteous and he has given me the ability to do what's right. And he has given you the ability to do what's right. It's not something you've earned on your own, it's something that Christ has accomplished for you. And you know what, that's a truth that we can hang on to. And so we can take that breastplate of righteousness and we can live righteously Because we already have that from Jesus Christ. He's the one who issued our armor to us to begin with. So, um, I I do want to end with one verse, or one uh, little passage out of Psalms. This is Psalm 19. It says this, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, that I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. I love the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 119. I love, I love um, just his heart behind that. It's because he wants to serve God and he wants to pour out everything and do what's right. And I think that's, that should be our heart as well.